for the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! Goal for the United States! Unbelievable! And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics, Friday, July 26th on NBC and Peacock. I'm ready to go. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you do for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. Hello, I'm Peter King. Welcome to the MMQB podcast with Peter King, where I take you inside the minds of the biggest influencers in the NFL. This week, from the NFL owners' meetings in Orlando, Florida, I'll be talking with New York Giants coach Pat Shermer and Fox reporter and Good Morning Football host Peter Schrager. But first, you know, one of the most interesting things that happened at the NFL meetings this week didn't really happen yet, but And you'll hear me talk to both Pat Shermer to some degree and also to Peter Schrager a little bit about the possibility of a trade of Odell Beckham Jr. from the New York Giants to the Los Angeles Rams. Now, I'm not even convinced that it's going to happen. I don't believe with any certainty that uh, this trade rumor really has legs. I do know this. There has been discussion between the Rams and the Giants about such a deal. Uh, Whether the Rams, at the end of the day, offer something to the Giants that the Giants would find worthwhile to consider, that remains to be seen. To me, the only thing that really makes sense in this deal is for the Giants to get offered two number one draft picks by the Rams, um, because not because Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, necessarily is valued in a normal market at two number one draft picks, but the reason I suggest that is that the Rams most likely are going to have low picks in each of the next two drafts. They've got the 23rd overall draft choice in 2018 uh, in the first round, and Clearly, this is a team that's going to be very good this year. So then you ask yourself the question, if you're the New York Giants, would you even consider that? Uh, and and I think if I were the Giants, I would consider it. And I'll tell you why I would consider it. It sounds to me like Odell Beckham Jr. is getting ready to be a headache for the New York Giants. Uh, not only in terms of his contract negotiations, but in possibly not showing up to the off-season program. And the reason why the off-season program this year is so important uh, to the New York Giants is very, very simple. Pat Shermer is going to be instituting his offense with this team. You don't want a situation where the most explosive player on that offense uh, 
gets in a hissing match with the Giants over his contract and doesn't show up until pick a time, August 20th, August 25th, whenever the thing finally gets done. So, you know, and I'm not saying the Giants would be a better team, you know, without Odell Beckham Jr. But what I am saying is that it is interesting to me that the Giants do not dismiss this out of hand. And the fact that they don't dismiss this out of hand basically tells me that, all right, Rams, give us a great offer and then let's see what happens. So put that one not necessarily on the back burner. I'd put that one on the front burner because I think it's one of those deals that could make an awful lot of sense for both teams. Finally, if you ask me right now, what the Giants should do with the second overall pick in the draft, I would say take a quarterback. I'd say take the best quarterback possible. But if I were the Giants and if I were Pat Shermer and I've looked at the tape and I'm convinced that Eli Manning is good enough to win with over the next two years, it is not out of the realm of possibility for the Giants to consider moving down with that pick maybe down as far as number five to Denver if Denver wants to move up to ensure they get a quarterback uh, that they really want, or going all the way down to number 12 um, with the Buffalo Bills. Uh, and that would, be a, that would be a tremendous price tag if the Giants moved down from two to 12. Um, but, you know, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves on that one because clearly – I think it's unlikely that the Giants go all the way down from 2 to 12. Uh, And I think there's probably, honestly, there's probably a better chance uh, that they make a deal for Odell Beckham. But a lot of interest right now, as I talk to Peter Schrager about later in this podcast, this could be the most interesting, the most fun draft in the NFL in years. So stay tuned. And now my conversation with Giants coach Pat Shermer. Back on the MMQB podcast with Peter King here at the league meetings in Orlando, Florida. I'm happy to be joined by the new head coach of the New York Giants, Pat Shermer. Uh, Pat, you know, I want to ask you one thing about your prior life as a head coach in the NFL. And I want to know if you can, if you can just sum up, what are the lessons that you learned in your two-year stint with the Cleveland Browns? Well, what I would tell you is I wish I knew then what I know now. And, yeah. and part of that is the experience of being the head coach for two years and then certainly the things I've learned uh, in the five years since. You know, I think, um, you know, there's no substitute for experience. I think having been through that experience has um, helped me in a lot of ways. Um, there's certain things that you don't see um, coming that you deal with and you certainly will deal with them better the next time around. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of a general way of saying, uh, learned a great deal. Um, there were certain things that I decided after I could sit down and really debrief that in the last five years, um, here's the things that I need to get done in the first month. Uh, here's the things that I'll probably never do again as I go through this. Um, and that'll come up, um, as we go through it, um, and you just you just learn how to do things better, and I think um, you know I think that's where it's at. When you had that job, I mean, it sounds crazy to say that you won nine games in two years, mm. 
And comparatively speaking, that's a phenomenal run for the Cleveland Browns. Yeah. And I'm sure you don't look at a 5-11 and 11 record and say, oh, my God, I've arrived. No. But, but that has been a very, very difficult place. So is there something about the adversity of coaching there mm-hmm. that you believe is going to be a big help to you now? Yeah, I think you, you know, when you, when you fight through anything, you learn about yourself. You learn about the people you're doing it with. Um, you know, I like to feel that we just didn't get a chance to finish for whatever reasons. You know, we were making improvements. I feel like we were getting better in some ways. And, you know, things happen, you know. When you don't win enough games, you own it. You move on. And, you know, that certainly was my mindset. And then you continue as a coach to go on and, do what you do and that's coach football games and then along the way you you learn more stuff and you you apply it to your next job. I've got to think that in the last couple of years uh, when you were in Minnesota particularly in 2017 when when you have to deal with the uncertainty at the quarterback position not every day but, you know, first of all, you don't know if you're going to have a healthy Teddy Bridgewater. You don't have a healthy uh, Sam Bradford for very long. Right. And then you've got to play a guy who you thought probably at the beginning of the year, this is a nice backup quarterback. Right. And you've got to just keep the thing going in the right direction. So tell me how you managed all that, both with your team and in the quarterback room. Well, I think we had a great structure there at the Vikings. We were uh, uh, an old-school operation. We were trying to do what we could do with the players that were available to uh, win one game each week, and that was against the opponent we were playing. Um, I thought Mike Zimmer and obviously Rick Spielman and the leadership of the uh, the Will family, they, they did a wonderful job of creating that environment. Uh, when we said it was next man up, it was the truth. Uh, it wasn't lip service. And so we tried to inspire our guys. If you were on our roster and you were active on game day and we put you in the ball game, we expected you to play winning football. And so they felt that. That was an organizational philosophy. And so then when they were forced to do that, they performed well. And I think it's a, it's a credit to them. Pat, you always – I take it you always thought that you had a you were going to get another chance to be a head coach. Were there times when that seemed very far away? I don't know. Um, I'm a career coach, and I guess it's a old school philosophy. You know, you do the job you're hired to do. So uh, when things changed in Cleveland, and I went to Philadelphia, it was a great experience for me to learn Chip Kelly and I. And then I, you know, it was very different. Uh, from a football standpoint, but very familiar because of my relationship with Jeffrey Lurie and Howie and and the guys in the building. So it was very different and very similar. And so it was an opportunity to learn and grow. Um, And then um, to be the head coach of that team, the last game, and then move on to the Vikings, which was another opportunity to learn and grow. And then you just never know where that's going to take you. But all along the way, if you're a career coach, you're coaching ball. And that's that's really what I was doing. What did you learn from Chip Kelly? Uh, I, I think the thing I learned, and I guess I appreciated at that my at that stage of my career, um, kind of a NFL purist in some regard in terms of being with Andy Reid and some of the systems that have worked forever, 
with Chip, we challenged everything. In other words, the only the only bad answer is we've always done it this way. And so, you know, we we challenged everything from how you practice to uh, the schedules for the week to, and you know, we stumbled on some things I think that are are new in our game, and to try to try to make that part of your own. I've got a weird premonition about Chip Kelly, and that is that I think he's going to be back in the NFL one day, and I think he'll do a good job. I really think he's one of those guys who, even though he's a little bit stubborn, I think that he's one of those guys who understands the learning process and the learning curve to this, and one day I think he'll he'll be back and he'll do it better. What's your gut feeling? Oh, I don't know that. I, I, I certainly think that's that's a possibility. Um, yeah, I just had a chance to visit with him when we went out to work out the quarterbacks at UCLA. Um, you know, he seems like he's in a real good setting uh, at UCLA. I think he'll he's going to win games. You know, and when you win games, then people people want what you've got. And so, you know, who knows? But I don't think that's that's out of the realm. Yeah, with Pat Shermer, the coach of the Giants, Pat. Uh, you you grew up in a a tradition heavy football family, right? And your uncle Fritz Shermer, uh, longtime defensive coach in the NFL, I knew him well when he mm-hmm. was with the Green Bay Packers. Sure. And I wonder the thought of one day coaching the New York Football Giants to you now that the job is yours. Is there part of this where you say, man, this is really the pinnacle? Well, we got a lot of work to do. You know, I, I think um, I'm honored to be their coach. Um, it's fun for me to say the New York football giants. Um, and I understand the responsibility that goes with that. Um, you know, we just finished uh, not too long ago putting the staff together where I'm trying to get to know our players before they, they come in in April. And, you know, I certainly think about that to some degree, but there's plenty of work to do, and I'm probably thinking about the work more than that. Um, had an opportunity to learn about the organization, about our ownership, um, and very, very proud place. It doesn't take you long. You only take a few steps through the building when you see the four Super Bowl trophies on your left. And um, so it's in our DNA to win, and, you know, it's going to be uh, up to us to try to get us back on that track. Let's talk about the Giants for a few minutes. Mm -hmm. So um, when you arrived, it sounded like you were saying that Eli Manning's our guy. Right. But you also made it very clear that you're going to play the best guy. Sure. So my whole question about that is with a 37-year-old quarterback, Mm -hmm. you Eli takes the first snap but he's not necessarily your guy for the next three or four years. Explain how you view right now the quarterback position. Well, I think globally uh, you need to play your best players, you know, and and looking at it, you know, I think when you talk about Eli Manning, uh, certainly um, he's about the fittest 37-year-old I've ever seen. You know, he's in the building uh, almost every day. Uh, He's training himself. He's been very durable through his career. Uh, he did many things well a year ago, but I think he'll he'll tell you he owns some of the bad things that happened as well. Mm-hmm. And so what we're going to try to do is is work with Eli and um, you know try to give him the best supporting cast 
and um, you know, see where it goes from here. I bet you wish that you could watch some tape on Davis Webb, the uh, the quarterback, the right. pro quarterback, rather than just the college quarterback. Right. You know, it's it's interesting. I um, I was talking about this earlier. Um, after watching the, this year's quarterbacks coming out, I went back and watched Davis Webb again as a, as a college senior. And, um, you know, to refresh my memory of what we thought, because we, we liked him a great deal. Um, a year ago when I was in Minnesota, we were in a little quarterback, you know, different situation quarterback-wise. But um, And then I was able to watch his practice film with the Giants. I've been able to watch his uh, preseason snaps. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of evidence of him playing for the Giants. Um, so just going to have to just see how it goes as we, we start these mini camps and this, this offseason preparation. But um, we're hopeful. We're hopeful that he can develop into a, a winning quarterback. You uh, here at the league meetings um, were peppered with questions about Odell Beckham Jr.'s future right. sure. with the Giants, which seems to be – uh, an everlasting story. Right. So you met Odell Beckham Jr. out in Los Angeles. Right. I take it when you, I guess when you were out working out the quarterbacks. I was. Yeah. But I, I, you know, I visited with him before he was through the building earlier, and wasn't the first time I met him. But I took advantage of the being in the area to uh, just sit down and get to know him, and um, a little better than I do. And um, you know, it was a good meeting. You know, without talking about the details, obviously we couldn't talk football because that's the rules now. But uh, it was fun to get his perspective on things. I shared with him my thoughts on what's happened here um, recently. And um, you can tell a very charismatic guy. He cares about winning. And um, it, it was a good meeting. I take it as a coach, you would love to have Odell Beckham Jr., Evan Ingram uh, as the weapons that you would game plan with going into a game week? There's no question. Um, I've been impressed by Odell since we evaluated him coming out. I remember being at his pro day, and I'm certainly glad he's on our team. You know, I think he's uh, a guy that I'm really looking forward to working with. I think, um, and I, I got that feeling from him as well. So, um you know, as coaches, we look forward to this time of year when the players come back. You know, that's that's what we do. And, you know, we're part of the other part of the what's going on during the year. But um, so I'm looking forward to working with him. Evan Ingram, again, as you mentioned, outstanding player. Um, do you like him we when did. you scouted last year? We did. I mean, you did need a tight end, obviously, in Minnesota. Right. You probably needed tight end depth, but I wonder, he was high on your board last high year? High on our board as well. Um, you know, he can – he's got some traits that we would almost put him in the wide receiver category, and that's uh, – that could be a matchup problem for defenses. So, uh, he got a lot of good playing time a year ago. Uh, he made some plays, but there's certainly things he could do better as well. Um, so, again, we're looking forward to working with him. You said here at the meetings that uh, Odell Beckham Jr. is on our team now. Yeah. Do you feel like that was a little bit uh, yeah, misunderstood? Or I what? think so. I think so. I, You know, that, that, sounds, that sounds probably not what I was intending to say. What were you he, intending to say? He's on our team, and <laughs> I'm looking forward to working with him. So, you know, I don't know if that – 
I'm all I'm well aware of how that happens. But uh, no, I'm looking forward to working with him. And as it stands right now, I'm looking forward to seeing him when we can get back to work. Yeah, you have no uh, you have no idea. I take now whether he will appear for the start of camp, yeah. uh, start of all, the off season yeah. program, or do you know that right now? Well, it's my understanding he's going to be here. Okay. Um, you know, I, I certainly things change as we go along here, but that that's my understanding. Yeah. Um, let's let's talk in our remaining time just about some league things. Sure. The NFL here has uh, approved sort of a simplified, clearer version of what a catch is. Mm -hmm. And as a coach, I wonder, the last few years when you've seen what you've seen around the league, you've seen some of the things that got overturned Mm -hmm. and the things that didn't get overturned. As a coach, when you're watching, did you feel like when calls went to replay at some points, you didn't know what the verdict was going to be compared to the last few years? Well, I think we as coaches try to learn the rules and coach by the rules. And then, you know, I think anytime something goes to replay, it's because it's it's close, you know, and, and certainly things have been overturned. But I think the definition of what a catch is is, is clearer now. Um, the whole going to the ground verbiage is going to be taken out of it. Um, it's two steps or a football move or, you know, so it, it's clearer in my mind as we move forward. And I think anytime it's clear for the coach, then – uh, the players can learn it in, in, a, in a better way. I, I, I think listening to the, the, the conversation about what a catch is and you know what what they looked, the competition looked at to uh, determine uh, changes to to the rule, uh, it, it made sense to me and it, it makes it clear, at least in my mind. I was at the the Pittsburgh New England game last year, mm-hmm. where the Jesse James right. play happened. And I just remember leaving the stadium that day and saying, by the letter of the law, the Jesse James catch was ruled correctly. When he hit the ground, the ball moved perceptibly, not not in a huge way, but it moved. Mm-hmm. And so they got it right. But I remember going out of the stadium that day and say, I don't care who wins these games, but I just feel like the wrong team won. In this game, because it was a it was a close game, and that would have unless right. yeah, that would have probably won the game for Pittsburgh. And I wonder, as a coach, do you feel the new rule is going to uh, be better for the sport itself? I think so, and I think that's the intention of adjusting the rules to make it better for the game. Uh, so yeah, I'm confident it will. There's always uh, game-changing plays in every season, and um, those type plays sometimes inspire the competition committee to make tweaks or changes and uh, trying to do things, obviously, that are better for the game. Um, Obviously, player safety is always on the front burner of of those discussions. um, But I think how we play the game, if we can just keep making it better um, so that uh, the game is determined on the field for the right reasons. Pat, two more things. Uh, I'm I've been asking a lot of coaches this week how they feel about sort of the long term future of football. If you had a mom from Dubuque, Iowa, mm-hmm. who comes to you and says, "Hey, coach, should my kid 
really play football and 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 not only for the safety factor right but but what what is my child we have a tough decision to make right so what is my child going to get from football well i certainly would try to convince her to let him play um i do know this game is not for everyone uh i think um there's certain folks like myself that we enjoy the the physical nature of the sport the competitive nature of the sport um and i think there's something not good but great to that and I, and i think a young man that wants to play the game should should do so now the responsibility falls on us as coaches in all levels to make sure we keep the game safe just because uh you know young people enjoy the physical nature of the game doesn't mean it has to be unsafe and so that's why you know i i feel like there's a a future for our sport because i was just in meetings the front part of this week talking about how we can make our game safer at the highest level and i think those types of things have to filter down through through all the groups and you know i'm a father of a son who plays the sport um at some point i hopefully will have grandchildren and boys and maybe girls that that want to play the sport and i'll encourage them to do that but i think it's super important that we as coaches uh teach teach young people to play the game the right way pat i i uh like everybody else was really really impressed with the job you did last year in minnesota mm-hmm. and my feeling is that so much of what your job is it's not necessarily standing up in front of a room and and being Mr. Charisma and getting people to follow you into battle, all that stuff. It's basically teaching the game. And what I thought was so good about what you guys did in Minnesota last year was you taught whoever was going to play, especially at the quarterback position. You taught them, you know, the offense, and and, and you worked with them, whoever it was, to make sure that they were going to be able to play well enough to win. Mm Mm-hmm. I want to just ask you about a coach's job as a teacher mm-hmm. when you have adversity. Right. So tell me what you think is important and why you believe last year yeah. you guys were able to able to do that. Well, we had dealt with adversity the year before, so I saw the way the I mean, guy, Teddy Bridgewater Ted, coming oh, Teddy week Bridgewater, before the season, yeah, yeah. being hurt, and and then um, Sam Bradford coming in and. You know, we had other adversity last year, and, and our, our guys battled through it. And, again, I think you learn uh, how people handle that. Um, anytime you go through adversity, you learn how to handle it better the next time. And, you know, it was just just a part of what you go through. I, in, as, as far as teaching the game, I think, you know, you teach the players, you lead the players. Um, but I think what's important about it is you're always asking the player. And I learned this when I started coaching quarterbacks back for Andy Reid is – when something happens on the field, I think the first thing you got to ask the player is, okay, what what'd you see? Why did you do that? As opposed to just running in and telling them this is what you have to do. Because I think then um, they take ownership for it, and they can tell you exactly why they did what they did. And then if there's some place you can help them within that conversation, that's where as a coach then you step in and say, hey, listen, you know, this is going to happen again. The next time you ought to consider doing this, you know, and I think um, I became a better coach certainly when I became a better listener. I also became a better coach when uh, I became a parent uh, 
because typically the answer is right there in front of you. And typically the player that you're working with can tell you the answer. And then you just need to confirm in their brain that, you know what, you're right. Do it this way next time. And I think that's, I don't know, that's certainly helped me along the way. Um, and that's the part of this game that I really enjoy is the working with the player um, and then working with a group of players and then inspiring them to do things that are extraordinary. And most of these guys are, are you know, some of them are ordinary by, you know, by NFL standards, but they can go out and do extraordinary things because they can believe they do it. You know, you know, Case Keenum, you get him sort of, I don't want to say off the scrap heap, but he was a backup NFL quarterback. Right. Stephon Diggs, right. fifth round uh, choice, the 14th receiver picked right. the year he came out. And I look at that, and they created one of the great plays in NFL history yes. last year to beat the New Orleans Saints. And I'll never forget being in the locker room after that game. And what was so interesting about that whole play, in my opinion, is that everybody in that locker room expected it to happen. And you, you really, as an offensive staff, in my opinion, you created the expectations that really helped that to happen. Why didn't he step out of bounds? Why, I mean, it just – there are so many things about that play that I look back and say, how did that happen? And I, I think it happened because those guys believed in what they were doing. No, I think you're right. Um, and really that whole drive was indicative of how they were trained and, and how they believed, you know. We were going down merely to kick a field goal, and, and we were setting ourselves up with the time remaining to do so, and we were stressed, time and obviously without timeouts. But if you, if you notice, the first play of that drive, we got a chunk, which we needed. That's the first step. And then, then we were just working our way in the field goal range and running plays that they had practiced all year, um, only had a chance to execute a couple times during the season. And um, there was good protection. The route was run properly. Case made a good throw, and then obviously made the catch. And then, whatever that natural ability that a receiver or a player has, when I know I'm supposed to get out of bounds, but there's nobody behind me, um, I had a few seconds of "What the heck are you doing?" Of course, and then, yeah. And then I joined the celebration with the the whole stadium uh, as he crossed the goal line. Yeah. Well, you'll never have to buy a beer in Minnesota again, Pat. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> Hey, listen, I wish you all the best, and uh, I really kind of hope you get to coach Odell Beckham Jr. for a long time. I think it would be an interesting and, and a fun match, you and he. Well, I look forward to it, and again, he's, he's such a tremendous player. Um, I'm looking forward to it. This is the MMQB Podcast. So, back to Mattress Firm. Everyone knows how important stretching is before an event. So does Mattress Firm. Except when I talk about stretching with Mattress Firm, I'm talking about stretching your dollar. Your budget stretches further when you're shopping at America's neighborhood mattress store. They're the head coaches when it comes to mattress expertise. But know this, they're more than mattress experts. They have a game plan that helps you transform your mattress into a bed. From adjustable bases and sheets to headboards and bedroom decor, they have you covered up like your favorite cornerback. Go to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to see what deals are happening as I read this sentence to you. They offer you a 120-night sleep trial to ensure sleeping perfection. 
they also offer a 120-night low-price guarantee so you know you paid the perfect price. That is a great one-two punch. So score big with a perfect bed. Head to mattressfirm.com slash podcast to get the play-by-play on how you can monumentally improve your sleep today, tonight, and tomorrow. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! Gold for the United States! Unbelievable! And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics, Friday, July 26th on NBC and Peacock. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a world record again! Gold for the United States! Unbelievable! And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics. This summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. I'm ready to go. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. What do you need for work? I'm an ad salesman. (laughs) Oh, God. What am I doing? Love Undercover. New series streaming now only on Peacock. And now my conversation with Peter Schrager. Back on the MMQB podcast with Peter King from the league meetings in Orlando, Florida. I'm joined by Peter Schrager, um, who is one of the only people in uh, in the business of covering the NFL who has more jobs than I do. But anyway, so Peter, we're sitting here in Orlando. We're sitting here in my hotel room at the JW Marriott. We're looking, we're saying, oh my God, it's been such a horrible winter. It's so beautiful out here, so beautiful down here. And I think both of us have been in a lot of meeting rooms and not really been luxuriating all that much. But it always happens at the league meetings. You come to a beautiful place and you never see anything. I haven't been outside yet. <laughs> I haven't been outside once, Peter. And it's funny. We're looking overlooking a pool scene right now, and it must be glorious. But you know how this is. The best information that you and I are going to get are in hallways. They're yeah. in back alleys, and they're maybe over a cocktail or a coffee. Uh, at the bar, and it's it's been tremendous stuff this week, and it's one of my favorite events of the league calendar. La- for people who don't know, the interesting thing about this, and I last night uh, we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon. It'll drop on Wednesday morning. We're recording on Tuesday afternoon, and one of the things that is really interesting about this event is that on Monday night they have basically an all-comers reception. If you are a media person credentialed to this party uh, or, or, or anybody who works for any NFL team who's here, you're there. And so you look around. You know, last night I spent a little bit of time with John Dorsey, a little bit of time with some people with the Rams, uh, saw Robert Kraft, uh, you know, just a bunch of things. But it is the most interesting gathering of the NFL year because it's one of the only times where 
every single person. Hey, look, there's Roger Goodell. Hey, look, there's Sean McVay. And it's it's just kind of a cool thing because in close proximity, in two and a half hours, you can talk to everybody in the league. And how about the timing of it? It's after the combine where everyone's in tight lip mode because of tampering and we can't talk about this. And there's the and it's before the draft, so we're still in team building mode. And I said this on Good Morning Football today. This week, all fan bases, all 32, believe this is our year. This is our year. And guess what? They're not the only ones. Every coach, every GM, every owner, every family member says, this is our year. Because you know what? The Eagles won it all last year, and they weren't expected to win it. The Rams went to the playoffs and won a division last year. They weren't supposed to do that. This league is unlike anything else because of the optimism and the parity involved. We're not at the draft yet. We're not at training camp yet. We're in this beautiful locale. And all 32 teams and their fan bases believe this is the year. Well, and all you have to do is look at the Jacksonville Jaguars in the AFC, the Los Angeles Rams in the NFC, and the Philadelphia Eagles lording above all. None of those three teams a year ago at this time you would have thought would be in the top 10 in the NFL. And and all three of those teams arguably were in the top five, five, six. Easily. And the Vikings were another team that you know, right. got to their Vikings third quarter. And and the thing is, I you know I just had I briefly was with McVeigh just now, and he looks at me, laughs, and goes, huh, "Think about us a year ago when we were at this thing." He goes, "No one wanted to talk to me." He goes, "Now you know, look at look at this. This is hilarious. You've got all the media guys wanting to line up to talk. I was just the Rams' new coach that everyone really didn't know about, and it's so quickly how things can change." Doug Peterson was there last night with his lovely family, and there's a line of people looking up to shake his hand. And guess what? I know for a fact last year in Arizona, there wasn't many people looking to line up and kiss Doug Peterson's hand and say, "Hey, congratulations on a great first year." It's amazing how this thing works and how quickly it all can change. I want to talk to you about 48,000 things, but I'm going to start with Doug Peterson and the Philadelphia Eagles. Not that they're particularly newsworthy right now. I want to ask you this question about Peterson. Why, in your opinion, did he strike gold? It's an amazing thing when they've got all that talent and all those personalities and a guy like Doug Peterson, who is not a huge soundbite, is not a media darling. Is not a rah-rah guy necessarily. It was the perfect fit. Why did he strike gold? They caught heat, and he let players be themselves. Look, I, I said this as it was going on. You know, Adam Gase openly said Jay Ajayi wasn't a great fit for their locker room. He comes to the Eagles, model citizen, great teammate, open to being a complimentary player, and it works out. You look down that roster, so many guys that, you know what, Alshon Jeffrey, the Bears, they're not going to pay him. Shows up here. You know, the Niners and Torrey Smith, you know, it wasn't worth the money anymore. He's washed up. He's done. Great season. And then the two quarterbacks. For Wentz to go down and for Foles to step up and for the ego of, of Wentz to then come in and say, or the ego list, and Wentz to say, and I'm going to support you 100% of the way and be the best teammate you've ever had and be in your ear and be pumping my fist and be shaking that cane around. When you do it, it was the perfect locker room. You were around them enough this year. It was so cool going and doing their games for Fox because I felt it. I knew it. I did their Giants game in week 14, and I'm like, okay, this is something special in this locker room, and straight through to the Super Bowl. I mean, Peter, I think Tom Brady threw for 600 yards, didn't throw an interception, and, you know, they beat them in the Super Bowl. They, had, they, beat, they beat the greatest quarterback of all time on his greatest day, and they still beat him. I mean, how cool is that? Yeah, it really was cool. I'll give you my quick theory yeah. on Doug Peterson and the Eagles, and it's this. I don't think he's a genius at all. I think he's got big stones, and he's willing to make any call at any time. And I think the other thing about him that is really special is he says to his coaches, let's find something that the New England Patriots have never seen. 
And no matter how long Ernie Adams and and everybody Down there up in the there, bunker, <laughs> no matter how many hours they study us, they will never have seen it. I am convinced that the uh, the touchdown pass to Nick Foles and the winning touchdown in the Super Bowl, in which they invented that play, it was not in their game plan when they practiced the previous week. It was one of 12 substitute plays <laughs> that they added to the offensive game plan, and they had never run it in a game, and they had only practiced it twice. But I am convinced that the reason why they do, they were so successful is not because of any genius tendencies of him or Frank Reich or Mike Groh or anybody on the staff. It's because they realize that – if we do something that the Patriots have never seen before, they're not going to be ready for it. We have an advantage. And twice in the Super Bowl, that happened. Now, I don't know if you saw this because it was on NFL Turning Point. I wrote a little bit about it, but I found it really, really interesting on the winning play of the Super Bowl that Matt Patricia is caught by NFL Films saying, we got a double 86. And as soon as the running back goes into motion, Deron Harmon chases yeah. the running back, so now all of a sudden Exposed. you're not doubling eight. You're not doubling eighty-six, and and I just think that plays like that are just so smart. And they say about people like Press Taylor, a young, well, this is, imaginative. I mean, I was going to get into Press. I really enjoy those guys because they're not smarter than everybody else. I don't think they just know that if we outwork, we can outwork other people and we can do things that they've never seen and that's going to win. And how about the ego or ego list of Doug Peterson that, Hey, who's getting credit throughout this thing? John D. Filippo got a lot of credit as a quarterback's coach. Frank Wright got a lot of credit as an offensive coordinator. Press Taylor as an assistant quarterback's coach was getting love for the Philly special. Mike grows a what? These are all offensive minds. And what's Doug Peterson, an offensive mind. And at one point did he say, Hey guys, what about me? Never. And that empowers those guys and it empowers him to be the best coach he can be. Let's move elsewhere in the NFC East. A lot of noise about Odell Beckham. Gut feeling. Will he get traded? <laughs> yes. That is a ballsy call there, Peter Schrager. Yes. I I think that, I mean, the Rams rumors are out there, right? I think two first-round picks is what the asking price will be. And I think it'll have to be – you have to renegotiate his contract on the trade because no one's going to take him on a one-year for $8 million and have to worry about that next offseason. I say it's yes. It's okay with Sammy Watkins because that's a two. That's one, two. Yes. This is Odell Beckham also, who you know you're bringing back. And when Sammy Watkins left that building in L.A., not much was made of it, whatever. I can tell you, the Rams wanted Sammy Watkins back. And for all the defense that they've added this year and all the defensive players and all the stars and all the Wade Phillips love, I'm looking at that offense right now. You lose Sammy Watkins. You're at Robert Woods. You're at Cooper Cup. You're at Tyler Higby. Yeah, but, you know, you could you, – you, Okay, but wait. It was smart not to pay Sammy Watkins $16 million. You can't – pay a guy who caught 39 balls and who might have a foot problem. He was fourth fourth on the team in receptions. I say yes because I feel like the Rams and Giants, and this doesn't come from McVay, doesn't come from Shermer, doesn't come from Snead or Gettleman. The Giants are in a position right now where I don't think they're going to pay Odell Beckham quarterback money, and that's what he wants. I think he would take less money, I honestly do, to be in a new situation in L.A. with the Rams. 
He's still going to be the highest paid receiver, and I think the Rams are in a win now mode, and they're going to get. I agree with you. I I think it's. I think the more I think about this, the better I like it. In part because Les Snead never met a trade he didn't like. Kevin Demoff is very progressive as the lead guy in your building, and Sean McVay is a guy who said, "Hey, bring it on." This he could thinks be, he can handle it. This could be combustible, right? But it hasn't been yet for him. He has brought on everything that has come. And look, yeah, but it's not the season yet either. Okay, it could be combustible with Talib and Marcus Peters. I mean. Tlaib once shot himself. Yep. <laughs> Evidently, accidentally, but I'm not positive about yeah. that. Yeah. No, and, and Sue is no angel as a teammate sometimes. I mean, look, everyone's this great uh, extreme makeover of, of Ndamukong Sue's reputation. It ain't great in the league, you know, and the coaches that have coached him, you're not going to find many who are going to line up and say, give me that guy again. So here's what McVay thinks. I'm 32 years old. These guys are my peers. I, I'm different than everyone else who's coached him. Put them in my locker room. I don't believe as much about locker room, you know, cancers and toxicity and all this stuff you haven't played for us and we've got the right thing going and I love an aggressive mentality and I love that Les Snead who wasn't that way with Jeff Fisher necessarily they weren't always signing guys for this is it the pedals to the metal and you know Jared Goff's gonna make six million next year seven million and then eventually his contract's gonna be up and Todd Gurley's gonna make I think five million next year his contract's coming up this is the time and Odell Beckham to the Rams is awfully awfully tempting from the Rams side, and if it's two first round, what are they getting with the twenty third pick right now? Right, I, I that's why I think it would have to be the price to the Giants. The Giants would have to get two ones out of this, and even then, I'm not sure they're getting good value. But Odell is uh, Odell. Yeah, he, there's just once in a generation guy. Would you say that he's a once in a generation guy? He's got the greatest hands I've ever seen. But you know, you have to ask yourself the question: Is his off the field? crapola going to derail how great he can be and I don't know the answer to that I'm not asking that as a question because we don't know this I'm simply saying that I've got some major questions about him long term sure and LA is not Topeka Kansas yeah and he's been living out there and there's every weekend there's a new story so I said yes. He said, well, he's gonna be, I mean, yeah, it's obviously sexier for me to say yes, he's going to be traded. Do I honestly think he's going to be traded? I don't know. But I do know that there, <laughs> that there are talks going on. It makes a great headline. Uh, and I know everyone has been very uh, sobering to me when I talk about this. Say, all right, slow down. All right, slow down. Well, know, yes, yeah. you, you, you haven't heard this, but earlier in the podcast, I had Pat Shermer, and Pat Shermer <laughs> well, made it very clear. Better. He made it very clear. He wants to keep yes. Odell Beckham Jr. But then again, he does not have – the nuclear codes, you know, Dave Gettleman has those. And I think John Mara has Gettleman's nuclear codes. Like, I'm not saying that Shermer wouldn't have a very strong say in this. And, of course, he's not taking the Giants job necessarily if there's others on the table if he doesn't have Odell Beckham. Odell Beckham was the number one, you know, offensive player in his mind coming to this team. So he doesn't want to lose him necessarily. But, man, it has, been a, it has been a crazy 24 months since that yacht and boat ride and all that stuff. And last Can year, you imagine, though, think about this. Suppose the Giants yeah. take Saquon Barkley. And suppose the Giants bring back Odell. Imagine having Odell, Evan Ingram, and Saquon Barkley. And, and then you go with Eli for this year. And then, next, and then you find out also this you'll know, year. You'll know. You right? find out like, this year if Davis Webb can play. And then next year you get your quarterback. All right. So what's the what's the ceiling on that? Because you, I mean, you're saying that as if the Giants are going to go 
and compete for a Super Bowl if that's your case, right? Like say, I don't, th- I don't think they. So would if compete that's the for case, so why Bowl. not build and draft the quarterback two overall, not Saquon, build for the future, and then oh, I'm not get even two saying more they, first I'm rounders. Not, I'm not even saying they should take Saquon because I don't believe you should take a running back. You'd hope that, that you would high. never be in the number two pick again, right? That's right. the hope. Yeah. And when you are in a quarterback rich draft, take a quarterback. Hey, by the way, how amazing was it that Jim Mora said? Cleveland should take like Sam Darnold. Okay, Jim Mora, who was the coach of Josh Rosen His entire at UCLA, career. okay, grew, lived in the same neighborhood with Josh Rosen. Beach. And and so he he's he, it, he was on your show, right? NFL, not our show, but he's on NFL Network, Total he's, Access. Yeah, he's on NFL Network, and he says, if I were Cleveland, I, I don't remember the quote, but if I were Cleveland, I would take Sam Darnold. That's that's amazing. And in my opinion, in my opinion. <laughs> Why do you think he would say that? I I don't know other than he believes it. Do you think he believes it? I don't I can't, no, cuz I've spoken to Mora about Rosen last year at the draft and he was working for NFL Network or he came on our show as a guest and was raving about Rosen. I think it might have been more he wants to see Josh in New York as opposed to Cleveland as opposed to a knock on Josh and you know Sam is maybe now more that's built an for interesting theory. That's an interesting. I hadn't thought of that. But. You know maybe and maybe Sam is more built for Cleveland. To be honest, I, I got to talk to Darnold a little bit. Got to talk to Rosen a little bit. And Darnold's father's a fireman, and it's a blue collar thing. And Rosen it, he's, and Jordan Palmer says he's the closest thing to Carson Palmer that he's ever seen, both in personality and as a player. Do you want to talk about the who's got the nuclear codes? I talked to Jordan for a while last night. I know I saw you talking to him too. Jordan Palmer working with both Josh Allen and <laughs> John, Sam Darnold. Yeah. I talked to Hugh Jackson today. I say, you know Carson pretty well. I assume you know Jordan. He goes, oh, I'm leaning on Jordan a whole bunch. And can you imagine that of all the people in this football world that we work in, the person who might be the most important and his opinion might matter the most <laughs> is Jordan Palmer. Jordan no Palmer, no offense to yeah. Jordan Palmer, but – of all the people you can imagine, that Jordan Palmer, having worked with both these quarterbacks so closely, Allen. I have a good trivia question. I love for it. You. What do we well, got? you're going to know the no, answer. No, I might not. No, you will know the answer. Who are the only brothers to play quarterback for the same team in the same game in NFL history? All right, remember they were both on the Bengals, but is that the correct answer? They That's both correct the correct answer. Same- 2010. Jordan Palmer, Carson Palmer played in a November game against the Buffalo Bills. Jordan Palmer mopped up for Carson Palmer. Really? Yeah. That's the only time ever. Only time it's ever happened. Huh. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Do you remember and this is do you remember his number one receiver at UTEP? You're gonna love this name. No. Johnny Lee Higgins. That guy can wow. run. Raiders, those guys. Yeah, the Raiders, uh, a lot yeah. of late night Friday nights watching those games. UTEP. Yeah. Uh but back to the quarterback thing, it's it's so interesting because the, for me with the Giants, this is a rare year where it's not just one or two guys. It's 31 flavors, and there's four very different, very unique quarterbacks that will, can all go to. In your opinion, will this be the first draft in NFL history where quarterbacks go one through four? No. I think the Browns keep the fourth. I think one Ooh. through three, and I think the Browns take Barkley at four. Very interesting. And then what does Denver do? Does Denver like Baker Mayfield? What do you think? I think Denver wants to take Baker Mayfield and is really smoke screening all the opposite to that. I have a mock draft coming out for NFL.com, and I have Baker Mayfield going number five to the Denver Broncos. And I'll say this. The first day of free agency, everyone's racing, doing what they got to do. The Broncos sent about six people to Norman, Oklahoma on the first day of free agency to make sure they were at that pro day. I think the only other GM in the building besides Elway was Mike McCagnan. Um, 
the presence at that pro day, it wasn't because of the proximity or anything. You don't send the entire front office to a pro day of a quarterback you have no intention taking. Yeah, I it makes the most sense to me. I love Baker Mayfield, and I don't know anything about college football. The reason, <laughs> the reason that I love him is that I watch him play, and he's accurate downfield, for and and he doesn't look like he's six feet, five eighths inches tall. He doesn't look like he's a Drew Brees, Russell Wilson type guy. He looks, I you know, when I watch him play, I think he's six two. Now again, he still is going to have issues like that. But Pro Football Focus had a great stat. Oh, they're fans. He, they're huge fans. Number one on the entire board, they said. And they had this great stat by him that on contested throws last year, he did not have a single pass batted down. And what I think their whole point about Mayfield is that I, th- I say the same thing about Russell Wilson, you know, some great players just happen to be short. I think this guy, and again, I've not watched five or six games yeah. on him. I'm not Mayakian in that way. I just have watched, uh, you know, maybe 45 minutes of plays with him. ESPN has got some great thing where they've got a reel, like on YouTube, where you can just watch a bunch of plays for guys and. Anyway, I, I, I really Can like I give the you the guy. counter? Yeah. Here are the go. two here are the two counters on, on Mayfield. When was the last time you had a quarterback who's been arrested and has had multiple incidents with behavior be really successful in the NFL? Maybe never. But can I tell you one thing that I really liked? Okay. I liked and again, it's I'm almost, gonna sound I'm gonna sound like an absolute Apologist, idiot. Yeah, I'm going to sound like an idiot for saying because this. I get because I mentioned this on air and people are like, "How dare you mention that arrest?" You don't. Hey, it happened. It happened. Yeah, it happened, and I think that's. I think it's logical to to bring it up. I liked what he did against Kansas. Okay, everybody said, "How in the world?" Before that game, this horse crap Kansas team stands at midfield and won't shake hands with one of the captains for the other team. And I just said to myself, those losers, yeah. really, to not shake hands with the guy. And you know what? Okay, so he's an absolute weenie for grabbing himself and shaking it at the other team. All I can say is this. You know, I'm just going to bet right now yeah. that if you had four years of every one of Southern Miss's games televised. Might have done that at some in the point. Part. I don't know what he did, but he <laughs> did some bad things, I'm sure. Sure. I'm sure. Sure. Because, it, you know, he's just, he's kind of a wild guy. All I know is that every game that Baker Mayfield ever played had six cameras and three replay yep. machines. Every And some of them had 18 cameras. So everything that a player does today is, is magnified. magnified. You're right. And so... I. I, I'm not saying that he's pure as the driven snow, and I do think that some of the things that he says bother me. But I also think he has been—he's a walk-on. Oh, he's I mean, a walk-on who—it's just utterly preposterous story. I just—we like know the it. Guy. We've gone through it. It's incredible. Yeah. I think Klemko at your site's done an incredible job chronicling yeah. a lot of him. But I'll say this also. I heard at the combine when he met with these teams, and everyone's expectation was that this guy was going to come in and dazzle them in the combine in the meetings and be really charismatic. But they said, you know, he was good, that he was a little buttoned up, and that he was coached, and he was, you know, this is Baker Mayfield. And so 
And then at these pro day, he met with teams and blew them away. That when he was mm-hmm. a little bit more, all right, out of the combine element, I'm told that he met with a team with a top 15 pick for 35 minutes at the pro day. And they were, I mean, these guys were drooling. That once you get him and he's natural and he's actually, this is the guy. Can the Miami Dolphins make a trade into the top six, let's say? Because I'm just going to make a, I'll make a point to you. I'm listening. With Indianapolis at six, and I'm telling you, Chris Ballard, the general manager of the Colts, he wants to move down one more time. I am convinced that if the Indianapolis Colts could be fairly sure that one of those really good, fast, athletic they love linebackers, those defensive linebackers could could be there, say at ten or eleven. Edmonds, one of those guys, Landry from or, Boston or College, Roquan. or yeah. Roquan Smith. Absolutely. But now, is the team those guys, or is the team Buffalo, or is the team Arizona? I mean, now you're talking, who's the trade partner? Miami, Gase is a quarterback guy, right? I mean, Gase, Gase is... I, 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 hey, look, I asked somebody very close to uh, Baker Mayfield. I said, you and I are going to Vegas, and we're putting $5 yeah. on who's picking Baker what, Mayfield. What color he's going to wear next year? I, I, I barely had the sentence out of my mouth. And this guy who's very close to him said, Miami. Miami is all over Baker Mayfield. So, so I'm, I'm – I'm, you know, Peter, all I'm saying is this is going to be one of the most fun drafts isn't it great? of all time. Isn't Might be great? the most fun draft of all time. I'm watching on a Friday afternoon in March – I'm watching a pro day on television in Laramie, Wyoming, and I'm having the time of my life. I cannot wait for the Laramie, Wyoming. I'm watching from my TV. I got a million other things I can do. I got a crime baby. I'm like, hold on, wait a second. I can't wait to see his deep throw. I got to watch. I got to see it. All the quarterbacks are so interesting. Saquon Barkley might be the best running back to enter the draft in five years, and we haven't even discussed that. What about that. Sean Payton telling me he's the best running back prospect I've seen in 25 years? 25 years. <laughs> oh my God. And you know what? The buildup, there's going to be 10 more stories between that. And then you talk about the intrigue of teams trading up, trading back. And two teams in New York City or New York, the market, have top three picks. If you're Dave Gettleman, if you're Dave Gettleman, tell me, what do you do in this draft? I would take Josh Allen. You would? I would take the big quarterback with the big arm that... It's it's a quarterback to me. You can go Rosen, Allen, Mayfield. You can do but let me ask you a question. What if you get offered three ones by Buffalo? You have to do it. You do? 22-12 and next year's one? Yeah. Well, look, here's, what, here's the big red herring with me with the Giants. The signing of Nate Solder is not congruent with everything else they've done. They're trying to get younger. They're trying to shave Kazakh. Well, but but I no, I disagree totally. I disagree totally. I disagree because look at all of the left tackles who are playing into their mid thirties now and playing effectively. So, in my opinion, this is not Nate Solder in his last three NFL seasons. He's going to play four or five years, I think. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, and that would that would help explain it. Three ones is interesting. Yeah, for the number two. That's the only Gettleman. In my opinion, how incredible would it be if the New York Giants made the following two trades? If they traded Odell this. Beckham Jr. for two ones, yep. 
and if they traded the second pick in the draft for three ones. So they would have the 12. They'd be the Browns of 2018 and 19. Think about this. They'd have the 12. <laughs> they would have the 22. They would have the 23. They would have next year's two first-round picks. of bo- The three first-round picks, their own, the Rams, and the Bills. So cool. in other words, they would have <laughs> three first-rounders in each of the next two pretty drafts. Cool. That's so, pretty cool. So you know what they could do? They could take Lamar Jackson, couldn't Why they? Not? Why not? And if it doesn't work out, take another one next year. Yeah. That's it. I mean, that's that's fun, and that's why the draft's great because as much as everyone I plays, love that. I really that is, we could, could you imagine? Let me tell you this: this if Les Snead was the general manager would of the New him. York Giants, you can have he do that. <laughs> Les Snead was there. He would say, "Okay, yeah, well, tell me, it's done." Uh, yeah, look, that's that's the beauty of it all, and you know, for the Giants, it's interesting because if you do add Barkley, again, like I said. Great play. running back value versus quarterback value. That's a that's a, that's a very interesting decision right yeah. there. Um, Peter Schrager, we're way over time. That was fun though. I'm going to ask you two other questions. Okay, yeah, yeah. I want to know what don't I know that I should know? What do you know that you're going that you're working on now that you think is really interesting that you have sniffed around and discovered and want to tell the world on the MMQB podcast with Peter King. Oh, I don't, I mean, it's not going to be a necessarily a, a scoop uh, uh, so much as to just how good this NFC West rivalry between the Rams and the Niners is going to be over the next five years. I spent a lot of time with both organizations down here. They are competitive as hell with each other. The head coaches are as close of friends and as competitive arrivals as you'll find in the NFL. These are guys. McVay was the tight ends coach under Kyle Shanahan, and now is the coach of the year, bell of the ball. Meanwhile, Kyle just got his dream quarterback in Garoppolo, and there's a healthy friendship there. They're still friends for sure. I've been with them where they interact and stuff, but boy, do they want to beat each other. And the NFL, it's been a couple years since the those two franchises have been at the peak of their game. I cannot wait over the next five years to see how it all plays out because the GMs are young, the coaches are young, the quarterbacks are young, and the fan bases are both so hungry for it. I think Rams-Niners could end up being Steelers-Ravens over the next 10 years. I love that. That's really good. I'll give you my one quick observation. After having spent last year with the 49ers in the draft room, there was one scene that I'll never forget. At the end of the second night of the draft, it was Friday night, Round three is over, and they're kind of celebrating. They just had traded and gotten C.J. Beathard, which, you know, they loved. I, you know, sure. whatever. Yeah. It's all in the moment. Yeah. So, and, and so everybody's all excited, the scouts and John Lynch and everybody, the position coaches. Where's Kyle Shanahan? Kyle Shanahan is away from everybody, and I see him overlooking at the draft board alone, arms crossed, just staring. And I swear, when I saw that scene, you know what I thought of? John Nash in A Beautiful, Beautiful Mind. Mind. Because he was seeing something, and I don't know what he was seeing. And I just went over, and I I was so grateful to the 49ers because they never said, hey, just stay in the back of the room. Yep. You know, they let me go, hey, why did you just do that? Yep. You know, and so Kyle Shanahan was looking up, and I said to him, what are you looking at? He goes, the running backs. And I said, well, I, I don't – he said, Joe Williams, okay? And I said, geez, I don't see him there. He said, yeah, he's off our board. He's a disciplined case. He's off our board. And I said, well, what do you – he said, I, I want Joe Williams. 
we went back into John Lynch's office and Shanahan made his strong case. John, the next guy we were picking, we've got to pick Joe Williams. And for those who don't know, Joe Williams BYU kid, come on. Yeah. Was it was a was a running back at Brigham Young who quit the team in his last year and was having significant depression issues because of a family situation where his younger sister died and he thought and she died in bed one night and he thought if he had been more proactive in trying to save her she would be alive today and so he was just all screwed up from that and he had had big problems he had been at UConn previously Mm -hmm. and he had been arrested for stealing a kid's wallet and using his credit card on his team. Hmm. So he got kicked off the team at UConn. He was like, and, jo- and Kyle says, Joe Williams, I, we got to have this guy. We gotta have-. And John Lynch is saying, Kyle, come on. We gotta- We've been working on this I mean, for months. Yeah, He's off the board. On. This guy's off our board and everything like that. But the reason why I knew that there was this really great mutual respect is that the next morning, John Lynch came in at 6.30 Pacific time. He got Joe Williams on the phone and basically on the phone said to him, listen, if you screw us, I'll kill you because we might pick you today. Sir, I'm not going to. No, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to be fine. They picked him. And look, he didn't do anything last sure, year. I think he, he ended up on clean, IR. Though. But but my point is that is such an interesting combination. Now, we've been talking about the Rams here. The Rams are a total fascinating organization right now but so are the 49ers and, and in hey, my guess, opinion guess who and you you yeah. gave them love in that article i remember that but lynch might not necessarily be doing all the co- parag is very parag involved Marate, too. their cap guy so you've got all these different yeah. guys in these picks and i'll say this there was a week 17 game between the niners and the rams and neither one of these guys would say it on the record and neither one of them have said it to me personally i just know the niners gave it to the rams now the rams were putting their second string guys they were already looking forward to atlanta they were the niners rolled up that score and they ended their season five straight wins, and they went into the Coliseum, and they blew out the Rams. And it might have been their backups. McVay won't forget that. And I love that stuff. I really love it. Yeah, I think it's great. Um, we saw so many trades. Are we going to see, in your opinion, any more significant trades before the draft? Oh, Odell's the only one I can think of right now. I, I knew that... Um, Robert Quinn could be had. I knew that Sue might not be on the Dolphins long. And the Odell thing had been brewing just this entire offseason as a name that you might, oh, you might be, don't be shocked. You know that, you always get that take. Don't be surprised if, you know, I don't have another name. Like Le'Veon Bell, I haven't heard a single thing out of that saying the Steelers might chop him and I don't have any others there. Um, No big names as of now, but that's what's so amazing. We've still got four weeks to go and I could be proven wrong by tomorrow. Gut feeling, end game, national anthem issue. Oh, man. Don't have one. I don't either. I don't know how. Peter, and this it's is not me being end. politically correct, but let me tell you something about this league right now. Chris Johnson, who's the serving owner, obviously Woody's overseas. Chris Johnson comes out and calls it a fantastically bad idea, the serving owner of the Jets, yep. to tell a player to. And within the same 10 minute span of my Twitter feed, Bob McNair came out with a completely different sentiment. There are 32 teams, 32 owners, and there is not one right or uniform answer at the moment. And here we are. And then we're saying they're going to table it to the May meetings. What's going to be resolved between March and May? I I don't know what. I honestly, you know what I think has to happen? I think there's got to be a meeting and not just with Roger Goodell and Malcolm Jenkins. I think there's got to be a meeting between Roger Goodell and Eric Reed too. 
and the the far more I, the wrong word is militant I, because I don't view Eric Reed as a militant guy. I view him as a much more outside the box guy than Malcolm Jenkins is. Well, and Reed, was I at, tru- Reed was at that meeting in New York, though. Re- he was at that meeting, but that's isn't that the last time he's yeah, been involved? He hasn't in that? been as part of the player coalition right. since. But you know, it Reed's a really good player. Yeah, and the fact that he's not signed, some people I know. might say. And everyone told me, wait till, well, the Honey Badger is going to set the market. Well, Honey Badger got signed a week ago. Hey, Peter, listen, <laughs> uh, I really appreciate you doing this. Watch Good Morning Football because yeah. you didn't hear our discussion about this, and we don't have an overtime segment no. on my podcast. Not Bill Maher here. But, but we had an interesting discussion, and I, I said, listen, I was probably prepared not to love your show, Good me Morning too. Football, because – I think that I was I thought that it was going to be happy talk, laughter, silliness, whatever. It's fun, it's informative, and I like the people who are on the set. So, I think it's great. I don't want to watch it on May 19th, but I do want to watch it on October 19th. If you're a Kyle Brandt fan, who is our uh, fearless fourth uh, you know, piece of the fourth team that we all are together, you would love to watch it May 19th because that's when Kyle gets real weird. Uh, and that's, that's when he really gets to flex his creative muscles. But it means so much hearing that from you. And I guess I'm just overwhelmed being here at the owners' meetings and getting so much positive feedback on the show because, like you said, I mean, look, there's been a lot of sports morning TV shows. I, I could do without most of them. And we've had a blast doing it. And to hear that someone like yourself actually watches and enjoys it means a lot. And we love when you're in studio with us. So, you know, the, the seat is there anytime you want to jump in and talk about whatever. Peter Schrager, thanks a million. Thanks to my guests, Pat Shermer and Peter Schrager. If you enjoyed these conversations, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes in the MMQB series, such as my conversations with Bob Costas, Tom Brady, and Chris Mortensen. You can find these on the MMQB.com, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. You can also hear the MMQB podcast with Peter King, on Sirius XM Radio every Saturday morning at 7 Eastern on Mad Dog Sports Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 82. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work, and thanks, of course, to my sponsor, Mattress Firm. Please support Mattress Firm the way they support this podcast, and I'll see you next week.